Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 24th. This is the 36th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Now, today my guest is the who's who of farming, and I will be talking with him from his amazing farm in Ohio very shortly. But before I introduce him, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to be the best that you can be. Always offer top quality service and products. Be genuine and authentic. Work hard and never compromise your standards, even if others are not doing the same. In other words, don't ever dumb yourself down. Rather, surround yourself with people who you respect and admire. By keeping good business practice, you will attract those like-minded. So, always give your best performance. It will pay off in the end. That is my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled about my guest. It is Farmer Lee Jones of the Chef's Garden in Huron, Ohio. Perpetually clad in his trademark overalls and a red bow tie, Farmer Lee Jones is a pioneer of the sustainable agricultural movement. His family's 300-acre vegetable farm grows the best-tasting and most nutritious specialty vegetables, herbs, and microgreens in the world. His family lives by a commitment to producing food that looks good, tastes good, and is good for you. Farmer Lee Jones is also hosting the second annual Roots Chef conference on October 19th and 20th at the Culinary Vegetable Institute in Milan, Ohio. So hello, Lee, are you out there? I am, from along the shores of Lake Erie. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm so excited to, to get out there to the farm at the conference coming up. But before we talk about that, let's let's start with your family and the farm, and how you got into the farming business. Well, you know, we've been farmers all of our lives, and this area is known for amazing soil. In fact, we're only about 2.9 miles inland from Lake Erie, and it's an amazing microclimate. Lake Erie, of course, is the shallowest of all the Great Lakes, consequently the warmest. And the soil that we're actually on is old lake bottom about 11,000 years ago and at one point had about 330 vegetable growers in this county. And so farming has been in our family for for as long as I've been alive. It's just part of our our heritage. 
Wow, I didn't. That's that's interesting about that land, and and the lake as well. So your family, you were born in there. Your your it's. I know the business you have. You have your dad involved, your brother. Um, so have you? Uh, how did your father uh, start, and when did you start taking a role in the company? Well, you know, um, from from as old as. From, from as young as when we could perform some useful function on the farm, which would have been five or six years old, um, I started on the farm in, in some role. Um, but my father actually um, was in the commercial wholesale vegetable business. And um, I don't know if your listeners um, can remember back to the late 70s, early 80s, but um, uh, my parents ran into hard times with interest rates that hit 21% and a very devastating hailstorm, and it it basically broke their back. And we literally crawled away and, and started over um, with no land and no money and no one willing to loan us any. And uh, it really gave us an opportunity to kind of rethink the way we were farming. We were following traditional methods of chemical and synthetic inputs and the university would teach you that if you had this disease on a plant, here was the chemical you used to eradicate it. And as devastating as it was to lose the farm, it did give us that opportunity to rethink the way we were farming. And so we went from you know high-volume commercial to low-volume and having to specialize in, in products with amazing flavor. And, of course, that uh, focused our attention to really the top end of the market and growing the way the way that uh, nature intended and, and working in harmony with nature rather than trying to outsmart it. Got it. Yeah, I love that you turned something not so great into a fabulous business and a, a new way of, of farming. Well, you know, we only farm 300 acres, and maybe that sounds like a lot to the listeners, but we're actually surrounded by most of the farms are three to 5,000 acres. In our 300 acres, only one-third is in production for a saleable product in any one year, and the other two-thirds are actually in cover crops. It's very similar to if uh, the listeners have gone to have blood work drawn and they find that they're high in iron or low in iron or calcium. And we do the same thing with our soil. Growing great vegetables or healthy vegetables really starts with healthy soil. And so based on then the deficiencies of the soil, will plant crop-specific for cover crops. It could be barley or vetch or buckwheat or rye or even mint or sedan grass. And then if you can visualize that plant accepting energy from the sun, different types of plants will accept different types of energy. So based on the deficiency in the soil, we plant crop-specific. And then the leaves of the plant act as an antenna. They accept that energy from the sun. They pull it down through the stem into the soil and then the next year when we plant the carrot or the beet or the radish or the turnip or the lettuce or the tomato, all of the natural energy is there. And then it picks that back up and we eat it. It builds our immune system to defend against the diseases. It's really about working in harmony with nature rather than trying to outsmart it. Wow, I love it. And I love getting this education too as a city girl over here <laughs> uh, because I don't know that much about farming. Uh, so, so your explanation is definitely helpful to my listeners and to me. And I wanted to see what, 
what your what's what's on what's in harvest now? What's in season? What's this coming out? This is kind of that sweet spot. We're still harvesting those summer items, you know, the tomatoes and the all the different varieties of of summer squash and the different varieties. I think there's eight different varieties of summer squash that we're growing and squash blossoms and 15 different varieties of beans, 56 varieties of tomatoes. So all the summer things are coming in still, but yet we're also moving into the four or five different types of broccolis and cauliflowers, um, the Romanesco broccoli and the orange cauliflowers and and all of the fun things that fall has to offer, the chards and the lacinato kale and the spinach, really some of our best crops come from early and late. We love the cooler temperatures on the product. It grows a little slower, mm-hmm. and um, you get more body, more color, more flavor, more nutrition. We have a saying that we like to grow vegetables slowly and gently in full accord with nature. That's a good saying. Now, you work with chefs, so how did that come about, your relationship with chefs? Because it's not just – and it's the top chefs – around the world in the country um i i've always been impressed with that relationship you have well we've been very blessed and very fortunate to get to work with some great chefs that have been amazing mentors and very very supportive and early on you know there were folks that went over to europe to train or to do stages or european chefs who were accustomed to plants and vegetables being grown in what I would call a more proper or natural, sustainable way, and then coming back to the States looking for those ingredients. And when we started over, it was 30 years ago, and, you know, everything was about mainstream, how they could produce the most tons per acre and produce it fast. And and so in the United States, everything was really moving that direction. And then here were these European-influenced chefs that were saying, look, we're not as concerned about the yield as we are the integrity of the plant, where it was grown, how it was grown, who's growing it, and are you doing it the right way? And we were so desperate for a way to be able to survive in agriculture, and and these chefs gave us a little glimmer of hope that if we did it the way that they required and requested, that they would support us. And, man, we grabbed onto those chefs with both hands and grabbed around their ankles and said, okay, chefs, teach us. And they have continued to teach us, and it's been amazing relationship over the last 30 years. And we continue to learn from each other. It's a symbiotic relationship, really. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who are some of the chefs that were supporters from the beginning? Well, gosh, it, you know, I always hate to get into the name game. Okay. Because there's always it. somebody that I miss. <laughs> but, you know, Daniel Ballou, um, Eric Repair, uh, Grant Ackett, Charlie Trotter, Alain Ducasse, Thomas Keller, the Ritz-Carlton chefs, the Four Seasons chefs. And you know what? There's a lot of amazing chefs out there that, you know, the listeners mm-hmm. may not recognize their names, but they really support sustainable agriculture and, you know, that farm-to-table relationship. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a huge trend throughout the United States, and there's, there's thousands of chefs that really get that concept and embrace it now. Right, and that that you satisfied me with your answer. Answer that was a very good list. It's I guess it's kind of would be like asking you to name all all the vegetables that you grow in the farm. There's too many, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. How long is our show? <laughs> uh, well, we could we got 45 minutes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that that was a good summary. So 
Let me ask you, last week I had on Stephanie Berghoff, and she's the co-founder of Calintro, a culinary, culinary trade organization, and I asked her to ask you a question. So her question was, with the farm-to-table movement and sophistication of consumers' dining habits, how has it impacted purchasing from the farms? Has it changed the purchases being made by restaurants? I think that it really has. Uh, it's very exciting. And um, obviously there are more and more farms producing great ingredients throughout the country. And, you know, I think that, you know, we could be concerned about that and say, well, we have more competition. But the reality is that the demand continues the demand and the awareness continues to rise. And so, um, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. And so it's been a wonderful momentum. And we're, you know, small family farms are the backbone of this country. And we need those small family farms. And I think that it has changed because it, um, the, the chefs recognize the value. And they recognize that their customers and their guests recognize that value of wanting to know where products are grown and how they're grown. And being able to connect and reconnect with the producers of ingredients really has value for the chef and for the guest. So it's been an amazing change, and the purchases, I think, are are good. And I think that the farm markets and, and farms that are producing are, are feeling and experiencing that, that trend. Yeah, I see that. And... Um... I, I think it's it's great what's happening. So it is. It's fantastic. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. There's no losers, and it's everybody wins from it. Everybody wins. Well everybody said. Everybody wins. Yes, indeed. Okay, great. We're going to take a little break here and come back and talk more with Farmer Lee Jones. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Farmer Lee Jones of the Chef's Garden. So, Lee, I wanted to ask you about the Culinary Vegetable Institute, which you established, I believe it was 2003. I have that right? I think it's 11 years ago. Okay. Then, yeah, 2003. Yeah, that would be about right. Uh, You know, the Institute was, the Culinary Vegetable Institute was established really with the vision of allowing chefs to be able to come and have a place to play. It's really this amazing playground, if you will, for chefs. And its vision was for the most forward-thinking chefs in the world to be able to come, go out into the fields with us. We learn from each other, and they take ingredients that they're not currently working with and take them back into the kitchen 
and be able to play and work on menu development and to create. You know, it's funny, but it seems as though the better the chefs get at what they do, the less they get to do of what brought them to the industry. Mm. You know, it's that really creative side that brought them. And, and we've seen it over and over. The better they get, the more they have to manage and to promote and to do TV shows and mm-hmm. to do charity events. And, and, less, and less and less of the real, you know, we have chefs here that get to get back in the kitchen and play, and they say, God, it's so great to get back in the kitchen and burn my hands. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're saying that somewhat, you know, facetiously, but to be able to be back in and to, to cook. And it's really inspiring. The chefs are inspired by coming and playing with different ingredients. And, you know, again, it's that symbiotic relationship. If, if the chef equals one and the farmer equals one, you know, the combined energy and creativity of the two equals six. And it's just magic, you know, that happens when the chefs come. And they can come. We've got a library there and, you know, literally hundreds of vegetables to be explored. And we do actually earth-to-table dinners right there on site, and a chef can come in and play and try his new creations out right on, uh, right on the guests and to see it's kind of almost a test grounds to see how they re- the guests respond to the new creations. That sounds wonderful. About how many people attend those dinners, or what's the capacity? You know, usually there, it's around 80 to 100 people. Okay. Um, we do what we call earth-to-table dinners, and we feature a different chef from around the country. Uh, last weekend we had Chef Tim Keating from Flying Fish down at uh, Walt Disney World came in and exposed our area um, of the world, you know, to the cuisine that he does. And of course, he married, you know, they're popular for their fish dishes there. And he married the fish with the vegetables and just blew people out of the water. And we had a lot of fun. But each month, different chef and weddings and rehearsal dinners and corporate team buildings and all kinds of fun things we do at the Institute. Yeah, it sounds a lot like a lot of fun. Now, we have a big conference coming up, something else that's going to be very fun, I know, the second annual Roots Chef Conference on October 19th and 20th. And so you, how did you come up with this idea for a Roots Conference? Well, um, in fairness, Renee Redzepi of Restaurant Noma started mm-hmm. a program called the Mad Food Conference four years ago over in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. And really, it's about getting people from all different fields or walks of the culinary industry together and to collaborate. And it's almost like the chef and the farmer um, combination, bringing different parts of the culinary world together, the collaborations and the connections that happen. The, the culinary world is just a, it's one of the most amazing groups of people that I've ever seen. They're more creative, they're more giving, they're more willing to share ideas than than any any other group that I've ever met, and you get the synergy and of of these folks together, amazing things will come out of this two day conference. Yeah, well, bringing people together in a lovely setting, and I mean, just coming to the farm itself, I think, is just such a special experience. So, bringing all these people together, um, I think, it's a wonderful idea. I can't wait to be there. Now, the theme is connect and unite through food. Um, so what's, uh, w- tell me a little more about that and 
Well, you know, Sherry, there's really not any hidden agenda to it. It's really a very organic feel. We're bringing people that we think are doing some pretty amazing things in the industry together, and it will be unbelievable, the connections and the collaborations that will come out of this. So, you know, it's really about bringing these people together, sharing ideas and visions and thoughts, and kind of letting things organically happen. Um, I'm inspired by um, the fact that uh, cricket farms are are cropping up, no pun intended, uh, mm-hmm. um, and that they can reproduce in 30 days and there's a higher protein level than any any species of cattle or pork or fish that exists. And you think about the potential for that for third world countries or even in the United States. And to give an example, a cow, it takes about six pounds of corn to get one pound of gain. And when you figure the butchered weight and um, the dehydration, it actually takes about 20 pounds to get a pound of meat. Where a cricket, it's two pounds of feed for one pound of, of um, protein or a usable edible product. Now, it's not for the shock factor. This isn't about putting a cricket on your plate and trying to gross somebody out or blow somebody <laughs> away. It's, you know, they dry them down, they run them through a centrifuge and, and incorporate that into a flower. So this is really about the, the world-changing effects that this could have on, on perhaps saving, saving people's lives and uh, the carbon footprint. When you think about what it takes to produce um, six pounds of corn versus using garbage left over from a restaurant that's going to be thrown away anyhow, and you can actually feed the crickets and, and reproduce in 30 days. That alone is very, very exciting to me. And there's just many different things and different people talking about projects that they're working on that are really going to be inspiring. Very inspiring. And I'm going to learn a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be moderating a panel, too, that I'm doing with uh, Kevin Sousa. And our panel, it's on crowd dining, funding a restaurant without traditional investors, which is very interesting because he's apparently had the most successful restaurant Kickstarter campaign to date. Um, So that will be a learning experience as well, um, because that's become a popular thing with restaurants with the getting on Kickstarter. Uh, Yeah, I'm very excited to hear that that talk. And, you know, the new definition of local um, is very exciting. Uh, The Maspia Soup Kitchen, nourishing the homeless Mm -hmm. through dignity and respect. It's what I understand about it, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from uh, Alexander Rappaport, um, but when homeless, you know, in my mind, when I think of a soup kitchen, you walk in and you stand in a line and you're served whatever happens to be available that day, and it's slopped on a plate, where these folks are greeted at the door by a host or hostess, and they're seated at a white linen tablecloth table and presented with a menu and they have choices, and they order off of the menu. And when I think about that concept, it's pretty amazing, and it's really about giving that homeless person some dignity. And, you know, there's so many homeless that it's really one or two decisions different from us. If if I would have made the wrong decision at a certain point in my life, you know, I could have been homeless too. And, you know, there's people that really genuinely 
genuinely need that lift. And it's very, very exciting to hear, uh, uh, to look forward to hearing him speak. I guess they're going to do a million plates of food this year in New York City. A million plates of food. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> Understatement. Yes, and you have and at the, this is you have Ted Allen involved. He's emceeing the event and Jose Andres is giving the keynote and we we got this uh it was a very nice piece in uh, USA Today on five can't miss food events this fall uh, cool featuring your event. Yeah, really cool. So nice, nice. Thank you USA Today for for covering the event. And uh, yeah, looking forward. Well, you know, Jose, we have uh, had the privilege of working with Chef Jose Andreas for many years, and and I've invited him literally dozens of times, and he's always wanted to come, and he's always so darn busy, and he's all traveling all over the world, and finally the moon and the stars aligned, and he said, I'm coming. And he's bringing four of his chefs with him, and we're very, very excited to have him uh, come and join us. and and get on the farm for the first time. And Ted Allen, the same. I've been friends with him for for probably 10 years, and we just have not been able to get aligned. And finally, you know, this Roots Conference, I think, looks appealing to them, and and finally they, they were able to squeak a little time into their schedules to come. It's going to be a great, great event. Really excited about it. Yes, and I'm curious to ask Jose about, he declared on Twitter recently that he's no longer going to be tweeting. When I love his tweets. He has to. He can't leave us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may have more power to change his mind than I do. Oh, I don't know about that. I think it might be a team effort. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tag team. Yeah, we'll have to get him. So, one other thing I wanted to ask you: with what I mean, what do you enjoy most about working with chefs, and what are the challenges? Do you find? Um, you know, I absolutely love working with the chefs. They have been mentors. They have been encouraging and supportive of small family farms. And our family is so indebted to so many chefs that have really supported and embraced what we do. But the challenges, um, boy, you know, there are certainly are many challenges on the farm, especially small family farm. There are political issues and and it's it's challenging we we don't do it for the money we do it for the love and wanting to be able to stay on the land and tend and take care of the land and leave it for future generations but i i can't think of any challenges of working with the chefs i i can't think of any greater group of people to work with that exists in the world they're just they have always been so inspiring i love their creativity they they encourage us and challenge us to think outside the box all the time. And it's just, there is no downside to working with them. We absolutely love what we do. And you know the old saying about if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. We really do feel like that. And um, it's just been an absolute pleasure over the last 30 years. And to be able to work with my family, my mom and dad are still involved, and my brother and my wife, and and our extended team on the farm, and then those chefs that really we consider part of our family as well. Oh, it's just terrific. I love hearing all that. 
Okay, so we're going to take a break here, one more break here, and we're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game. We're going to talk industry news, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We're thrilled to announce a special event, the Silver Snail, 25 Years of Slow Food. This event is hosted by Slow Food USA, Heritage Radio Network, and Roberta's Pizza. It's been 25 years since Carlo Petrini and a group of activists launched a peaceful revolution to defend regional traditions, good food, gastronomic pleasure, and the slow pace of life. The slow food movement has since evolved into a comprehensive approach to food that recognizes strong connections between plate, planet, people, politics, and culture. Today, this movement involves thousands of projects and millions of people in more than 160 countries worldwide. Join us for a dialogue between Slow Foods founder Carlo Petrini and locavore activist Alice Waters as they reflect on the evolution of the food movement and all things slow. Friday, October 3rd from 1130 to 230. You can go to our website and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page to RSVP. We can't wait to see you there. We're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is everyone's favorite farmer, Farmer Lee Jones. Okay, Lee, are you ready for my speed round game? I think so. (laughs) I think so, too. Uh, What it is, I'm going to give you two choices, such as chocolate or vanilla, and you just pick your preference. Okay, chocolate. All right, cool. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, gosh, both are so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) You can have both. Okay, both. Okay, cool. How about raw or cooked vegetables? Any way, any way. I love vegetables. Any way you can get them. Raw or cooked. Okay. Winter, spring, summer, or fall? Sounds like a song I know. Yeah, sing along. Fall. Fall. Fall's my favorite, too. Is it? Yeah, Yeah, it is. Whatever season I'm in, I love the most. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have good timing with this show. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. And uh, New York City or... I guess I can't pick a city in Ohio. I'll just say Ohio. Oh, gosh. New York City. Oh, wow. All right. Giving it up to New York. It's one of the most fun places in the world. I love to go to the city. Well, what if I said Manhattan or Brooklyn? Oh, then I would have to say I plead the fifth. (laughs) Okay. I have (laughs) shepherds both places. (laughs) No problem. I'll take it. You did very good at this game. You were quick. Well, I thought that was the idea. It is the idea. (laughs) But trust me, not everyone gets that. 
It's very good. Okay, so I want to talk some industry news with you. So the first article uh, was in the New York Times and is titled Veteran Bon Appetit Writer Named Editor-in-Chief at Sever. And they're talking about Adam Sachs, who was most recently the editorial director at Tasting Table. Um, he's been, a, I've known Adam for a long time as a journalist. He's won several James Beard Awards, writing for Travel and Leisure and Bon Appetit, and I think some other publications. So Adam is now taking over. Um, we announced this on the show a few weeks ago, how James Oslin was leaving Sever. So Adam is now the new editor-in-chief, which is really awesome. So I'm sh- you, do you know Adam, Lee? I do. I mean, everybody knows of his <laughs> reputation. Um, I got to, to judge with uh, James Oslin on um, Iron Chef, but... Um, And I think he did a great job. But Adam, I think his creativity, his energy, his innovation is going to propel to the next level. I think this is a huge move, a great move, and I'm I'm very excited to see, you know, the the changes that will take place. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, me too. And uh, I think it's it's exciting for him. Congratulations. Um, I I think it was trending on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, it should be. It's big news. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, how the magazine changes. Well, I think we should invite him to Roots. You know, he has been invited, but I think he has a lot on his plate right now. Um, Yeah, I can imagine he does. (laughs) Yeah, but if if not this year, maybe we can get him out next year. There you go. Uh, So... That was one article. Another article I want to bring up was in USA Today. The largest ever climate change march rolls through New York City. And this was about how this past Sunday in New York, over 300,000 people marched in what organizers are calling the largest climate change demonstration in history. And it um, was ahead of this week, the United Nations Climate Summit is happening. I figured, Lee, you probably know something about this <laughs> climate change well you know i think that it's it's very very good that people are becoming more aware i think sometimes we just go through the motions and we don't think about cause and effect and for everything that we do there's some effect someplace there's the ripple effect and to bring the awareness to what we're doing to our climate and global change global climate change i think that it's it's really upon us, and it is up to our generation to begin to make some of those changes that are are going to really affect our children and our children's children. And yeah, we've made some messes, but I think that, you know, even coming back to the farm, it's unbelievable. Even if we take on a new piece of land that's been farmed chemically for years, the land will respond to good treatment and it takes us four or five years to kind of clean it up, but I think that the awareness and, you know, the fact that we start to make those changes now, we can make such a huge impact on on future generations that we have to start. I think it's a great movement. Yes, I agree. And a lot of people I know marched. Heritage Radio Network had a team people marching. Al Gore was there. There were some celebrities like Leo DiCaprio. I mean, it was it was a big thing happening here. So, um, and this week too, uh, there's a lot going on in New York. But 
then again, when is there not a lot going on in New York? The taxi cab drivers probably weren't very happy about it. No, I had a hard time getting across town yesterday, but uh, it is what it is. So. It is what it is. Okay, one more article we had in Adweek, Eater, Eater.com, who I mention a lot on this show. They just went through a redesign. It launched on Monday. And uh, they're using they they were bought out by Vox Media about eight months ago. They're using their new chorus platform, and I read that Eater's traffic has apparently grown two hundred fifty percent since they were taken over by Vox. So now, this Eater's a nine year old site, and people like me have been very familiar with the layout. And it's now it's a new look. There's a lot of big photos and boxes and a different way of navigating. So I'm getting used to it. Um, I don't know, Lee, have you checked out Eater's new site? I have. And, you know, I think that, you know, some of us older folks don't like the change, but I think that today, you know, it, it really is all about change. And, of course, Facebook and some of these other places are always changing it up. So I think we're kind of just becoming a accustomed to the fact that change is inevitable and it's mm-hmm. happening at a faster rate all the time and you know it seems like the time by the time i get my iphone figured out you know it's time for an <laughs> upgrade and you've got something else to learn but you know they're so trendy and always moving to what's relevant and and staying on the forefront and and that's why they are the best so it doesn't surprise me to see them change it up and we will adapt and we'll figure it out and then they'll change it again, and it'll get a little better. And, you know, it's evolution. Yeah, well said. It's true. Every, I mean, I think a lot of people it's don't like change, and it's just a matter of getting used to, but it is inedible, inedible. I'm not good at saying that word. Spell that twice fast. <laughs> I can spell it, but I don't think I can say it. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to take... Our final break here, and we're going to come back and do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, this week I checked out Dirty French, a new New York bistro on Ludlow Street on the Lower East Side, created by major food groups Mario Carbone, Rich Teresi, and Jeff Zelaznik. The restaurant takes its culinary cues from the timeless dishes and preparations of the classic French bistro and enlivens them utilizing modern techniques and bold flavors. Now, this is a brand, brand new spot and very popular group that opened this place. So I did what I usually do, and I went early, and I got a seat at the bar. 
And the moment I walked in, I really liked the place. Uh, it's part of this new Ludlow Hotel. Just had a very cool vibe. And uh, I was sitting at the end of the bar, and I was immediately well taken care of by Dan, the bartender. Now, the menu looked terrific. Uh, after weighing my options, I decided to go with two appetizers. I did the tuna tartare and the lamb carpaccio. But first, the house bread came out. And let me tell you, this is really good house bread. It's served with fromage blanc, which is fresh white cheese. So I started with that, and then came my tartare, which had a very interesting presentation. It was served with peri-peri chili and a crepe Indochine, and it was very tasty. But the dish that won me over was the carpaccio. It was simply divine. It was thinly sliced with yogurt and, yogurt and figs on top and more garnishes than that. I would say this is the must order there. Even then, that, that's all I had because solo dining, I don't get to try as many dishes. But I would love to go back and, and try some of the entrees. And uh, it, it's a great new place. So if anyone wants to learn more about it, their website's dirtyfrench.com. Okay, Lee, it is now time for the final question. So what this is, I would like you to ask a question for my guest next week. I'm having on Barbara Sibley. She is the owner and chef of La Palapa, which is a Mexican restaurant in the East Village. And she's also the president of the New York Women's Culinary Alliance. So, Lee, can you ask Barbara a question? Well, I would like to ask Barbara um, if it is a women's only uh, organization or how can men support it? I am in such huge support of you know the New York Women's Culinary Alliance and want to know if there are ways that men can support the program. And the second part of my question is, we would love for Barbara to come to Roots. Can she come as our guest? <laughs> That's both, my question. I love both of your questions, and I will. I, I, I look forward to hearing her answer, especially on, well, on both of them, but on the first one, I'm the immediate past president of the New York Women's oh, Culinary really? Alliance. Oh, really? Okay. I am. But I, that question, I'm going to let her handle that question. But I know we would love for men to get involved and support us as an organization more. Um, you know, it is, it was founded by Sarah Moulton. So, oh, wow. She's amazing. She's been on the farm before. We love her. Yeah, she's she 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 is amazing, and uh, oh, that's great! I'm sure Barbara would love to come to the farm. So I'm going to ask her both of those questions, and we'll get back to you with those answers if you <laughs> you don't catch the episode. Okay, great. Well, this has been really fun. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been fun to to talk to you, and uh, we love the organization, and we love. Heritage Radio Network. You guys are so relevant and timely with all of the topics that you have, so we're delighted to be a part of it today. Oh, well, thank you, Lee. So for people who have been listening, I've been talking with Farmer Lee Jones of The Chef's Garden. Their website is thechefsgarden.com. They are on social media. You can follow at Farmer Lee Jones, at The Chef's Garden, at Culinary Veg Inst, and uh, hashtag RootsConnect2014. My Twitter and Instagram is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All, in, All Industry. Now, as always, if you miss a live broadcast, you can always find us archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and thank you so much, Farmer Lee Jones, for joining me today. Thank look, you, Sherry Bear. I look forward to seeing you on the farm. 
And uh, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.